When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. Happy Halloween, everyone! Last week, we unearthed four episodes from my treasured 2018 series, History of Horror, Vampires, the Devil, Zombies, and Killers. Today, we'll conjure up four more episodes on witches, ghosts, werewolves, and horror comedy. I'll explore the evolution of each trope, from their ancient origins to their modern pop culture afterlives. And what has changed in the world of horror in the last five years? With the dominance of streaming, there has been an explosion of content, and there's a lot to sift through. Some spine-tinglingly good, some less so. But I'll give a few personal favorites in each genre. For witches, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina started off strong. I adore both the British and American versions of the series Ghosts. Werewolf Within was quite enjoyable, and while the last two both count as horror comedies, I have to throw in the Wednesday series and The Babysitter and Killer Queen as hilarious and heart-racing twists on the genre. Hopefully, this stroll through the history of horror will get your heart racing to watch some spooky horror content this Halloween season. A Brief History of Horror Witches Ah, the power of magic. Some fear it, some desire it. And that is the dichotomy of the witch genre. For every book or film in which a witch is cast as an evil villain, there is another where she is a protagonist and frankly a character many of us would rather like to be. The perception of witchcraft has a great deal to do with the views and fears of the times. Because of course, witches are usually women. Witchcraft is inexorably linked with female power. Therefore, in times when the power of women is in flux and feared, witches have been the focus of terror. When women's power is celebrated, so too is the mighty and mystical witch. The term witch has long been used for wise women and prophetesses. In the Bible, King Saul asks the witch of Endor to summon a dead prophet to help him in battle. Witchcraft is banned in the Old Testament, which states, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. In medieval Europe, where life was hard and superstition rampant, a failed crop or death in the family was often blamed on the local healing woman or midwife. 
Though they were usually the ones there trying to help, their mysterious knowledge of the human body and power over life and death brought them under suspicion. The fear of the Christian patriarch labeled them as evil worshippers and concubines of the devil. Many of the symbols we still associate with witches are tools commonly used by women in the Middle Ages. The cauldron was a common cooking pot. Every woman used a broom to clean her house and many kept cats to chase off disease-ridden rats. Even the pointy hat was a common style. Across Europe in the 14th through 17th centuries, approximately 80,000 people, mostly women, were accused of being witches. Once you were accused, defending yourself was a lost cause. Witch hunters used the instruction book, Malleus Maleficarum, or Hammer of the Witches, to torture out confessions. Feeble evidence such as birthmarks, thought to be brands by the devil, or floating in water, were used to send these poor souls to be burned at the stake. Witches have long been the looming terror of fairy tales, told to children to keep them wary of the dangers of the unknown. These morality tales often pit a princess or good little children against an evil hag, bent on cursing them to sleep forever or eating them up. As print became widespread in the Renaissance, these tales were collected and immortalized by the Brothers Grimm and others. German artist Albrecht Dürer often depicted witches in his print engravings. Shakespeare began his famous play Macbeth with a spooky visit to the Weird Sisters, who prophesy the fate of the protagonist. Witchcraft can be found in various forms outside of Western culture in the past and today. In Japan, witchcraft is said to be passed down generation to generation among families, along with their familiars, foxes. In India, women and men accused of witchcraft are often the victims of abuse or vigilantism. In the Middle East, those accused of witchcraft are often pursued and executed by the government. Many African cultures hold practitioners of witchcraft in high regard and respect them as important members of the community. In South Africa, for instance, there are Inyanga, or healers, and Sangoma, or fortune tellers. But there are also the rogue, Tagiti, who aim to harm others, and the fear of them has caused many to be harmed or killed unjustly. Among slaves brought to the New World, faith and folk traditions were a melting pot of traditional African beliefs and the Christian religion of the oppressors. Out of this was born voodoo. Practitioners of healing and religious rites are often called witches. In New Orleans, voodoo queens such as the legendary Marie Laveau have exalted positions in their communities. In 1692, in Salem, Massachusetts, a West Indian slave named Tichuba played a fortune-telling game with the young girls in her household. When they were discovered by their father, the Reverend, rather than face punishment, the girls claimed to have been tormented by witches. They began a frenzy of witch trials, neighbor accusing neighbor, resulting in the accusation of over 200 people and the hanging of 20. As science overtakes superstition, and we have new explanations for why bad things happen, the idea of witches using magic to curse others has faded away. But we are still fascinated by the mystical glamour of the witch. Witch is apparent in their frequent appearance in pop culture. 
In 1918 in the UK and in 1920 in the US, women finally won the hard-fought battle for the right to vote. In the wave of newfound power, anthropologist Margaret Murray published The Witch Cult in Western Europe. This book brought to the public consciousness the practice of ancient pagan religion and influenced the 20th century faith known as Wicca. In 1922, silent Scandinavian film Haxen shows how superstition and misunderstanding of mental illness led to the hysteria of the witch trials. L. Frank Baum's 1900 novel, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, cast the Wicked Witch of the West as its villain, and the 1939 film adaptation cements the classic look of the witch into popular culture. Black gown, pointy hat, broomstick, a long warty nose, and bright green skin which showed up marvelously in this, the first ever film in color. Of course, there is also Gilda, the Good Witch of the North, and we see a glimmer of possibility that one could possess magical powers but still be beautiful and benevolent. Disney films, heavily influenced by traditional fairy tales, often cast the witch as the antagonist. From the evil queen giving Snow White a poison apple, and Maleficent cursing Sleeping Beauty to eternal unconsciousness, to Ursula stealing Ariel's pipes, and Mother Gothel playing serious head games with Rapunzel. Veronica Lake plays a gorgeous and seductive sorceress in 1942's I Married a Witch, and Kim Novak does the same in 1958's Bell, Book, and Candle. Both use their magical powers to seduce their love interests. In 1964, the hit TV show Bewitched cast beautiful Elizabeth Montgomery as a witch who falls in love with a mortal. Her husband Darren is forever badgering her to stop using magic and just be a normal housewife. An obvious metaphor for the 60s man's terror and desire to suppress the power of the liberated woman. In the 60s and 70s, the women's liberation movement gained momentum and women began exploring aspects of their lives beyond the role of wife, mother, and domestic goddess. During these heady days, the mystic and powerful witch came into vogue like never before. The UK in particular began an obsession with their druidic past and the occult became hip and edgy. The modern religion of Wicca gained momentum and followers. Hammer Film Studios, famous for their cult horror films, produced several related to witchcraft, including The Witches and The Devil's Own. Witchcraft cast a spell on theaters and other features such as Suspiria and The Wicker Man. In 1966, psychedelic rock singer Donovan declared it to be the season of the witch. In the 70s, Stevie Nicks of the popular rock band Fleetwood Mac became known as the White Witch, wearing flowing scarves on stage, cultivating a mystical presence, and crooning about Rhiannon. The Eagles serenaded their witchy woman, and Santana bemoaned his love for a black magic woman. 1987 saw three gorgeous stars, Susan Sarandon, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Cher, seduced by the devil in the form of Jack Nicholson in The Witches of Eastwick. Angelica Houston played a hideous hag bent on destroying children behind a mask of deceptive beauty in The Witches, based on the book by Roald Dahl. 
Hocus Pocus introduced us to the Sanderson sisters, three witches who long to suck the lives out of all the children of Salem in this spooky and hilarious 1993 Disney movie. Kids saw how cool it would be to go through the horrors of high school with magical powers as they watched Sabrina the Teenage Witch and how potentially terrifying a bullying clique using witchcraft could be in the craft. We see the romantic side of witchcraft in practical magic when Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman use spells to solve problems in their love lives. In 1999, the groundbreaking film The Blair Witch Project introduced us to the found footage format, and horror would never be the same. The viral marketing campaign and use of unknown actors made audiences unsure if the chilling movie was fact or fiction, resulting in huge buzz for the picture. In 1974, Jill Murphy introduced us to the idea of a school for young witches in her book series The Worst Witch. Mildred Hubble can't seem to get anything right as she bumbles through potions class and flying lessons. The series has been brought to the small screen in multiple adaptations, even as recently as 2017. But the magic school that became a worldwide phenomenon is Hogwarts. J.K. Rowling's massively popular Harry Potter series tells the tale of an 11-year-old boy who discovers he is a wizard and is invited to attend a school of witchcraft and wizardry. The book series and its film adaptations and spin-offs create a world of unforgettable witches and wizards, both good and evil. Witches continue to be popular fodder for the film industry. Magic and those who wield it for good or evil will always be sources of fascination. Though the intensity of their popularity may flicker, witches are a flame that will never burn out of our popular imagination. How do you like your witches? Wicked women working evil, seductive and sexy sorceresses, good-hearted and helpful ladies, or kids having a blast with magic wands? A Brief History of Horror Ghosts What Lies Beyond the Veil of Death this mystery is one of the biggest and most fundamental we face as humans. Religions are founded on the various conjectures, cultural customs forged, and wars fought, ironically causing countless men and women to find out the answer for themselves. Do we cease to exist? Reincarnate? Move on to some other plane? Or what if we stay behind, unwilling or unable to leave the places and people that filled our living days? Vampires, werewolves, and zombies are all fun and frightful fantasies, but the idea of human spirits remaining on Earth is something far more personal. A third of Britons and nearly half of Americans believe in ghosts. And in a world where we are all searching for answers and missing loved ones who have passed on, is it really any wonder? Ghosts are often seen as sad spirits trapped on Earth by tragic death and unfinished business or venerable ancestors here to guide us, but they can also be troubled and angry phantoms who shed terror on the living. Spectral tales are found throughout the world. Ancient Mesopotamians left offerings of food and drink for their dead. Happy spirits helped the living. Unhappy ones caused illness and misfortune. Similar beliefs are echoed in many cultures throughout the ages. Belief in ghosts was widespread in ancient Egypt and is chronicled in the Book of the Dead. 
burial rituals and the ka, or soul's, harmonious transition into the afterlife was of the utmost importance to the Egyptians. If a person was buried improperly, their ka would be unable to pass on. In classical Greece, spirits were described as mists and vapors which hovered near the resting place of their earthly remains, and cemeteries were places to be avoided. At the stroke of midnight on the 9th, 11th, and 13th of May, ancient Romans could be found walking nine times around their homes, throwing black beans over their shoulders and repeating the incantation, With these beans I redeem me and mine, Ghosts of my fathers and ancestors be gone. This was part of the Lemuria festival, meant to ward off restless and evil spirits. The Romans also believed a ghost could be summoned to exact revenge on an enemy by scratching a curse on a piece of lead or pottery and placing it into a grave. Pilony the Younger tells of a house in Athens where the new owner was up late in the night when he saw a specter bound in chains. He followed the ghost to the garden where it pointed to a patch on the ground. When the owner dug up the patch, he discovered a chained skeleton. The haunting ceased once the skeleton was given a proper burial. In the Middle Ages, ghosts were usually described as recognizable shadows of their living selves. Ghosts were often souls condemned to purgatory for their sins, who rose to warn the living to repent of their own sin. Tales of ghost armies fighting battles over and over, or phantom knights challenging living ones to combat were also popular. In some stories, murder victims would rise to point out their killers, as in the case of the ghost of Hamlet's father in Shakespeare's famous play. In northern India, it is said you must never turn your back if someone calls you from behind, as it might be a spirit trying to claim you. Hindu mythology speaks of Betal, evil spirits who haunt cemeteries and take possession of corpses. Buddhist folklore tells of Pritas, or hungry ghosts, the spirits of evildoers whose punishment is to walk the earth in agony with a hunger or thirst they can never satisfy. In Mexico, Mayan and Aztec beliefs mixed with Christianity to create Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead, a celebration of deceased loved ones on November 1st, during which families pray, give offerings, and have picnics in graveyards. Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol in 1843, in which an old curmudgeon, Ebenezer Scrooge, is visited by the specter of his long-dead friend, as well as the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and most terrifyingly, future. The spirits warn Scrooge of the punishment his sinful ways will exact after his death. This tale has become one of the most popular stories of Christmas and is often adapted to plays and films. In 1848, the Fox sisters of upstate New York claimed that they could communicate with the spirits. The teenagers and their growing audiences heard knocking, which they claimed were produced by the dead. The spectacle launched the massively popular spiritualism movement. Hosting seances and hiring mediums became de rigueur among the fashionable. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, creator of Sherlock Holmes, was an outspoken devotee of the movement. Harry Houdini was a famous skeptic who enjoyed exposing mediums as frauds. On his deathbed, Houdini whispered to his wife a secret password so that she could prove wrong any medium who claimed to be in contact with his spirit. 
1888, the Fox sisters admitted that their act had been a fraud and spiritualism began to lose its credibility and popularity. The most significant Gothic stories regarding ghosts are Henry James's 1889, The Turning of the Screw, about a governess caring for two young children in a remote and haunted English mansion, and Oscar Wilde's 1887, The Canterville Ghost, about an American family who discovered their English manor house comes complete with a medieval specter. A pioneer of early filmmaking, George Millay, often filmed stories of ghosts and magic utilizing experimental photography tricks. In the three-minute 1896 film, The Haunted Castle, a pair of cavaliers meet the devil, a skeleton, and various specters. This is considered to be the first ever horror film. Ghost stories were popular fodder for early filmmakers. Works such as 1922's The Headless Horseman, 1935's Scrooge, 1940's The Ghost Breakers, and 1947's The Ghost and Mrs. Moore continued to propel both the art form and the horror genre forward. Shirley Jackson's 1959 novel, The Haunting of Hill House, built up eerie suspense and terror rather than outright horror. A group of strangers are invited to stay in a reportedly haunted mansion by a doctor bent on finding evidence of the supernatural. The novel was adapted to film in 1963 with The Haunting. Not to be confused with the 1959 Vincent Price romp, House on Haunted Hill, in which the eerie-throated actor stars as a wealthy man who has offered a group of party guests $10,000 if they can last the night against the ghouls in the house. One of Stephen King's most famous novels, The Shining, is about a father who is hired along with his wife and young son to care for the remote Overlook Hotel as it is cut off from the world during the winter. The story starts off with the slow burn of cabin fever and the son's psychic ability and culminates with ghostly apparitions stirring the father into a murderous frenzy. Stanley Kubrick made this novel into a horror movie masterpiece starring Jack Nicholson, but Stephen King hated the film, believing it strayed too far from his novel. He would never again relinquish such control to a director. 1979's The Amityville Horror, based on real events and a real house in upstate New York, tells the story of a family who moved into a home where a mass murder had been committed a year earlier. Strange and creepy things happen in the home and the father begins to go mad. The Evil Dead tells of a group of friends who plan to spend a fun vacation in a cabin in the woods. Their plans are ruined when they find a Book of the Dead in the cellar and unleash poltergeists and demons in the house. In 1982's Poltergeist, a typical suburban family are experiencing strange happenings in their home. And once they're here, all hell breaks loose. That tends to happen when you build your neighborhood over a cemetery and you move the headstones but leave the bodies. Ghostbusters was a spooky comedy phenomenon about a group of scientists working to rid New York City of its ghost infestation. In 2016, the comedy was remade with new laughs and slime-spewing spirits. 
High Spirits is set in an Irish castle where the inhabitants try to attract tourists with a haunting hoax, only to discover the home is legitimately haunted with many fascinating phantoms. At the heart of the story is a lovely spirit, 300 years dead, who falls in love with a mortal. Tim Burton's Beetlejuice tells of a young couple who discover they are dead and must scare away the unwanted living who move into their beloved home. It shows creative and bizarre imaginings of the afterlife and features Michael Keaton as a bio-exorcist ghost. Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore star as lovers separated by death in Ghost. Whoopi Goldberg is a psychic who must help Swayze save Moore from being murdered as he was. Michael J. Fox stars in The Frighteners, which starts off as a comedy about a con man using real ghosts to swindle exorcism clients, but evolves into a frightful horror romp when a serial killer comes back from the dead to try and add to his death count. The Sixth Sense follows a young boy who is cursed with the ability to see dead people and the psychologist who is trying to help him. In this film, spirits with interesting and tragic stories are everywhere. One of the most famous twist endings of all time hits you when it is revealed that Bruce Willis was a ghost the whole time. The Others is set in an old mansion where a mother and two children are haunted by apparitions. The slow creep comes to a head when we discover it is the family who are dead and the specters they have been seeing are the new living inhabitants of the house. The rise of reality TV in the 2000s saw many series which attempt to glimpse the other side. Shows like Ghost Hunters and Most Haunted follow paranormal investigators as they enter haunted locales. Crossing Over with John Edward and Long Island Medium feature psychics who claim to be able to communicate with the beyond. And Celebrity Ghost Stories is pretty much what it sounds like. Japanese films The Grudge and The Ring were remade in Hollywood to great success. Both films feature stories of terrifying ghosts out for revenge on the living. In The Grudge, the specters inhabit a home, while The Ring takes the novel approach of a haunted videotape. The hit anthology series American Horror Story has explored many topics in the horror pantheon, but the first story in the series, Murder House, was filled with the various spirits who haunt a beautiful old house in Los Angeles. Films in The Conjuring Universe, including Annabelle and The Nun, follow the real-life case files of paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren. Since the 1950s, the couple have investigated homes and objects reported to be possessed by spirits and demons. Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak is a feast for the eyes. It follows a young American bride who accompanies her mysterious new husband to his crumbling and naturally haunted estate built on a hill of blood-red clay. Pixar film Coco tells the tale of a boy who travels to the land of the dead in search of a deceased relative. It explores Mexico's Dia de los Muertos festival and is delightful and slightly spooky. Ghost stories are perhaps the most basic of the horror tales we tell, but they leave a lot of room for intrigue and creativity. So what do you fancy doing when your number comes up? 
See what's next? Stick around to keep the party going with your loved ones or scare the living hell out of a few mortals. Hello everyone, you may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history? If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books on Who Did What Now? The history podcast that's not your history class part of the Area of Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir to zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you. A brief history of horror. Werewolves. Beasts possess great power, speed, strength, endurance, gifts we humans traded in millennia ago for our large brains but relatively weak bodies. It is no wonder that since ancient times we have lusted for the abilities of our animal ancestors. On every continent, legends abound of men and women with the power to transform into beasts and run like the wind, swim and fly. In the West, the most popular of these legends is that of the man who transforms into a wolf, gaining the strength, speed and viciousness of the beast and also releasing something of the dark nature that hides within all of us. Let's explore the history of this lurking lunar lycanthrope. The wolf is the most fierce predator in Europe, and wolf attacks on humans were a part of life for centuries. Ancient Greek mythology is rife with tales of werewolfism. Herodotus tells of a tribe called the Nuri, who became wolves for several days each year and stalked the forests around Arcadia. In another myth, Lycan, the king of Arcadia, tests Zeus to see if he is truly omniscient by serving him grilled human flesh. As punishment for this defilement, Lycan was transformed into a wolf. From this myth comes the term lycanthropy, or turning into a wolf. The Romans told similar tales. In one story, a man hung his clothes from an ash tree and swam across a lake in order to transform. When he swam back the other way, he would be human again. 
Another transformation tale involves removing the clothes and urinating in a circle around them. Petronius was the first to connect the werewolf with the full moon. He tells of a man who brought a soldier friend with him while traveling to visit his mistress. On the journey, the soldier suddenly transforms into a wolf and runs off into the woods. Upon arriving to the mistress's house, the man is told that a wolf had been fought off by a servant with the sword. The next day, the man visits the soldier to find him dying of a sword wound to the neck. The Volsunga saga speaks of a tribe of Vikings called the Ulfignar, who went into battle dressed in the heads and hides of wolves. Like berserkers, they fought viciously, channeling the spirit of the wolf and were a terrifying sight. The wolf is an important beast in Germanic and Frankish pagan religion. It is no surprise, therefore, that myths of werewolves are common in German and French-speaking countries. Fairy tales, which are really warnings to children about the dangers of their world, often include wolves, most famously in the story of Little Red Riding Hood. When Riding Hood says, What big teeth you have! And the wolf answers back, The better to eat you with! It is clear that this is no ordinary wolf. When witch persecutions ran rampant in medieval Europe, thousands of unfortunate souls were also accused and put on trial for being werewolves. The most famous of these trials is the strange and twisted case of Peter Stumpf, the werewolf of Bedburg. Peter was a German farmer who, after being tortured on the rack, confessed that he had summoned the devil who gave him a belt which allowed him to transform into a wolf. He confessed to killing and eating 16 people. He met a bloody execution on the wheel. Werewolf accusations in France coincided with rampant wolf attacks in the 17th and 18th centuries. The Beast of Givaudan terrorized southern France from 1764 to 1767, killing at least 80 people. The killings were most likely the work of a large pack of actual wolves, but a local hunter claimed to have slain a supernatural beast with a silver bullet. The werewolf traveled to Eastern Europe as well, where its vicious and nocturnal nature often associated it with the vampire. In Belarus, Prince Veslag of Polsk was said to stalk the countryside in the body of a wolf. He had superhuman strength and hearing. He could always hear the bells of the church and return home before dawn. Over the years, werewolf lore has evolved and changed to fit the story. In some cases, the bite of another werewolf bestows the curse. In others, it is genetic, the children of werewolves first transforming at the onset of puberty. Sometimes the full moon must stimulate the change. Sometimes the werewolf can transform at will. In some cases, the werewolf is a mindless monster, but he is often portrayed as a tragic figure, cursed by his uncontrollable dark side. The werewolf is an allegory for the pain and suffering resulting from giving in to our baser instincts. But if some night you find that a werewolf is stalking you, most tales agree that a silver bullet is the only way to stop it. Unlike many of the classic movie monsters, the werewolf did not have a significant 19th century novel to bring it to fame. 
The first appearance of the werewolf on the silver screen was in 1935's Werewolf of London, in which a British botanist traveling in Tibet in search of a rare plant is attacked and returns home to unwillingly unleash his dark curse on the streets of London. In 1941, Lon Chaney Jr. played the Wolfman. Again, the werewolf is a romantic and tragic figure, cursed by his transformation and subsequent violence. Chaney was more willing to allow makeup artists to transform him, and this look and lore shaped the portrayal of werewolves in Western culture for decades to come. Chaney played the Wolfman in four sequels, including the 1948 comedy, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. The 1957 B-movie, I Was a Teenage Werewolf, casts heartthrob Michael Landon as a young man dealing with the frustrations of youth and a bout of lycanthropy. Many young people, I'm sure, can relate. The Wolf is once again a tragic anti-hero in Hammer Horror's 1961 Curse of the Werewolf, where a man discovers too late that only love can calm the beast inside. 1981's An American Werewolf in London follows two college students traveling through the English countryside where they are attacked by a mysterious beast. One dies, the other wakes up in a hospital. The survivor is visited by the ever-decaying specter of his friend who warns him that he too will transform into a murderous monster. This film features probably the greatest werewolf transformation ever put to film and done entirely with makeup and practical effects. It was the first film to win an Academy Award for Best Makeup. A year later, the director, John Landis, and the makeup artist, Rick Baker, were hired to create Michael Jackson's Thriller video, which also includes the pop star as a gnarly werewolf. In The Howling, a troubled news anchor travels to a resort colony for some rest and relaxation, only to find that the colony is hiding a hairy secret. She tries to warn the world but ends up transforming on live TV. If you're looking for a family-friendly werewolf movie, 1985's Teen Wolf is your best bet. Michael J. Fox stars as a dorky teen who discovers he is a hereditary werewolf. He uses his powers of transformation to win popularity and basketball games. Campy 80s flick, Silver Bullet, based on Stephen King's cycle of the werewolf, stars Corey Haim as a wheelchair-bound boy who must fight off werewolves in his small town. 1994's Wolf stars Jack Nicholson, who really doesn't need much makeup, as a book publisher who is bitten by a werewolf. He uses his newfound confidence and aggression to tell off his enemies and a gang of muggers. It is only when he falls in love with Michelle Pfeiffer that he discovers his lycanthropy is actually a curse. One of the most compelling characters in the Harry Potter series, Remus Lupin, was bitten as a young child by the maniacal Death Eater werewolf Fenrir Greyback. Lupin is cursed to suffer each full moon and fears allowing anyone to get too close to him. A teen and her sister discover that her body is changing from more than just puberty in 2000's Ginger Snaps, a funny, very gory, and ultimately tragic story of sisterly love. In British horror comedy Dog Soldiers, a group of army men haul up in a farmhouse as they are surrounded by a pack of werewolves that pick them off one by one. 
The Underworld series, beginning in 2003, pits werewolves against vampires in an epic battle. This began the pop culture marriage of these two diabolical characters. It seems that in most cases, the werewolf plays a secondary or adversary character to the main star, the vampire. In New Moon, the second installation of the youth romance series Twilight, a teen werewolf is introduced as the romantic rival to the main vampire. Many youthful hearts of flutter proclaim their devotion to either Team Jacob or Team Edward. In more adult fare, the series True Blood about a woman enamored of vampires also had a werewolf-vampire love triangle. When Sookie considers the affections of Hunky Alcide as a more earthy alternative to her ethereal vampire ex. In 2010, horror classic The Wolfman was remade starring Benicio Del Toro, Anthony Hopkins, and Emily Blunt. The 2011 TV series Teen Wolf is a loose retelling of the 1985 Michael J. Fox movie, but with a more teen heartthrob vibe. In the series Hemlock Grove, about supernatural happenings in a Pennsylvania town, the character Peter, a teenage Romany gypsy, is revealed to be a werewolf in a very cool transformation. As long as humans battle with temptation and calming the beast inside, the classic horror character of the werewolf will have its place in pop culture and Hollywood. So what's your take on the werewolf? Tragic anti-hero cursed by his inability to control the animal within? Strong and sexy stud muffin? Or just a malevolent monster you wouldn't want to meet on a moonlit night? A brief history of horror. Comedy. Why do you enjoy being terrified? The horror fan is often asked this question by fans of more benign fare. We enjoy horror because it makes us feel alive in a way nothing else can. And with the millions of dollars horror films, TV shows, books, and video games rake in every year, we are certainly not alone in our enjoyment of that tingling sensation up our spines. Like children playing tag, Horror allows us to experience fear and flex our mental and physical responses in a safe setting. Humans have been telling tales of terror since the dawn of the species, and as early people gathered around the fire, they learned valuable lessons about what others had experienced and about fearing the unknown. And few things are sweeter than that feeling of relief after the lights have gone back on or the book is closed to know that you are safe and sound, the vampire wasn't real, nor the horde of zombies. This sense of relief is not exclusive to horror. It is also a key element of a phenomenon unique to humans, comedy. We have the tension of the setup and the release of the punchline. The two genres also share a sense of the absurd. In both, characters are put into unrealistic, over-the-top situations, and the results can be either laughter or terror, or often both. And by the act of laughing at our fears, we can bring them out into the light where they have much less power. 1820s The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving is a classic mix of horror in the form of the headless horseman who chases Ichabod Crane through the night, and comedy when we find out that it was all just a prank. The great horror novels of the 19th century, such as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Frankenstein and Dracula, 
often saw various parody stories follow in their wake. Edgar Allan Poe considered horror and comedy to be on the same continuum and frequently employed gallows humor in his work. The first appearance of horror comedy on the silver screen was the 1920 silent film Haunted Spook, in which a family tries to make an old plantation appear haunted in order to scare a girl out of her inheritance. In 1948's Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, the most popular comedy duo of the time encountered the three biggest characters in Universal Studios' pantheon of horror, Count Dracula, played by Bela Lugosi, Frankenstein's monster, played by Glenn Strange, and the Wolfman, played by Lon Chaney Jr. The comedy mashup of these previously dread-inducing characters led to several sequels in which the comics meet the Invisible Man, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and the Mummy. In the 1950s, the B-movie emerged. Usually the second movie in a double feature, these low-budget horror and sci-fi films featured grisly, salacious, and slightly ridiculous monsters. Films such as The Blob, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, and Plan 9 from Outer Space thrilled teenagers at the drive-in. Their absurdity turned them into unintentional comedies as audiences howled at their surreal special effects, preposterous plots, and well-trod tropes. B-movies got even more bang for their buck with the creation of The Horror Host, local TV personalities who used macabre humor to introduce these late-night features the most famous of which was Vampira, who in 1954 had an underground hit show in Los Angeles where she sat on a throne of skulls and served eyeball martinis. In 1964, the wholesome family sitcom turned creepy when the Addams Family and the Munsters entered America's living rooms. The Addamses were an oddball human family full of macabre humor, and the Munsters were a family made up of Universal's classic monster lineup, Frankenstein, Dracula, and the Wolfman. In 1974, comic geniuses Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder produced the hilarious and loving parody of the classic monster movie, Young Frankenstein. This film is full of memorable madcap moments and is one of the most quoted films of all time. It was also adapted for Broadway in 2007. A year later, Rocky Horror Picture Show shook up the world of cult horror. Loosely following the Frankenstein storyline, Rocky Horror went off the rails with gender-bending rock and roll and plenty of laughs. It has become a cult classic and is hugely popular with live audiences at midnight screenings. An American werewolf in London holds many seriously scary scenes, but sliced in are hilariously absurd moments of the werewolf waking up naked at the zoo and being confronted by the specter of his victims gleefully suggesting ways for him to off himself. In 1981, the horror host was revived with a big bang when Elvira sauntered onto the small screen. On her late night show, Elvira's Movie Macabre, she showed the new breed of horror B-movies like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and Blackula intercut with her witty jabs. Elvira's persona grew larger than the show, appearing in commercials, merchandise, and her own movie. She was even parodied on The Simpsons. 
Speaking of The Simpsons, this long-running comedy mainstay does a special Halloween episode each year which pokes fun at horror both fresh and classic. The Treehouse of Horror episode is unmissable in October. Comedy superstars of the 80s team up as Ghostbusters, a team of unlikely superheroes who must save New York City from hordes of undead and ectoplasm slime. The second feature from creepy mastermind Tim Burton, 1988's Beetlejuice has legs firmly buried in the macabre and the absurd. It shows comically bizarre images of the afterlife and features Michael Keaton at his side-splitting best. At the height of his goofball comedy fame, Leslie Nielsen starred in Mel Brooks' Dracula Dead and Loving It, a loving and slapstick retelling of the Dracula story with some very rude shadows. In 2000, the Waynes brothers created Scary Movie, a slapstick gross-out over-the-top parody of Scream and many other popular movies of the time. The comedy was such a hit that it was followed by four sequels. British comedian Simon Pegg parodied the zombie apocalypse genre in Shaun of the Dead, in which a London loser tries to win his girlfriend back hang out with his idiot best friend and grab a pint, all while dodging the living dead. Kiwi comics Jermaine Clement and Taki Watiti gave us What We Do in the Shadows, a mockumentary about a group of flatmates who happen to be vampires and their various hijinks like going out to clubs and arguing over washing the dishes. This is just a small bite of the dozens of comedy horror crossovers, some that are particularly significant to the genre, and some that I just love. What are your favorite comic horrors? If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new episodes every Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, unburying some of my favorite hidden gems, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's history, and more. You can also follow History Tea Time on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like Queen's Podcast, Ancient History Fangirl, Redacted History, and more.